0: Um, let's pray before we begin heavenly father we thank you for today Uh, we thank you as will prayed for the community week that we've had Uh, we thank you that you're here with us Um, please help us now in our worship of you um, and help us to um, take what we learn lord um, and put it into the rest of our lives in jesus name amen um, so if you were here last Sunday morning, um, you heard Ian Kerr preach from Second Ch- Kings chapter 5 on the story of Naaman and the servant girl. Um, if you missed it like I did, I would encourage you to find it on the church website to listen to, um, but wait until after I've finished, because I'm about to plagiarize his introduction. Um, but Ian, please take that as a compliment. Um, Ian emphasized that when we come to the stories in the Old Testament, we have to keep the larger story in mind. He quoted from Chris Wright's The Mission of God. So here it is again. The Bible renders to us the story of God's mission through God's people in their engagement with God's world for the sake of the whole of God's creation. So when we read about Naaman or Josiah or any other Old Testament character, we should not primarily come to their stories looking for a saint to copy or a villain to condemn. In the back of our minds, we need to remember that every narrative is part of the same story, the greater story of God's purposes, God's mission in the world that finds its ultimate completion in Christ. I think the children's version that David read earlier um, did a good job of summarizing Josiah's story. The story is found in both 2 Kings 22 and 23, and 2 Chronicles 34. Um, this morning we'll be looking at the version found in Kings um, with only a couple details from the parallel passage. It's a little bit different from the order in the children's story because they focus on the 2nd Chronicles passage. Um, you'll find it helpful to keep 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23 open in front of you. Um, but first, I briefly want to set the scene. Um, Josiah was a king in Judah. He ruled roughly 400 years after the height of the monarchy under King David. Since David, there's been a steady decline in the land. The kingdom has been split in two. The king and the people have turned from Yahweh to serve other gods and idols. Violence, oppression, and corruption are commonplace. And God has warned them time and again through the prophets that this was heading to disaster. But they did not turn back. So in Second Kings chapter 17, the northern kingdom of Israel is invaded and taken into exile. And only the smaller kingdom in Judah remains. And despite warnings, they continue to despise the Lord. This downward spiral reaches a climax in Judah with the reign of Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh. He wholeheartedly worshipped idols and false gods. Chapter 21 describes how he would build altars and idols all throughout the kingdom, Even in the temple of Yahweh in Jerusalem, he would sacrifice to other gods. He tries to commune with the dead. He fills Jerusalem with innocent blood. He sacrifices his own son, Josiah's uncle, to a Canaanite god. I was nervous when I heard Sunday school wasn't starting for a couple weeks because it's not PG today, but I'm glad they're out as sun seekers. Um, The Lord sees all that Manasseh has done and all that he has led the nation into and the innocent blood cries out to him. The Lord promises justice and judgment. Manasseh's son, Amon rules like his father, continuing the headlong rush towards the coming justice of the Lord. The, that promised justice comes about in Second Kings chapter 24, just one chapter after the story we're reading today, with the invasion of the Babylonians, the destruction of Jerusalem, and the exile of the people. So Josiah's story in chapters 22 and 23 is found between the two stages of exile for God's people. At eight years old, he is made king when his father is murdered in a coup attempt, and his father had only been on the throne for two years. He's king at eight. And if you were to look back over the past 400 years of the monarchy for any guidance, only with a few shining examples, he would see a story of idolatry, Greed, oppression and violence. But then we turn to chapter 22, verse one, and we read: "Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedediah, the daughter of Adiah of Boscath, and he did what is right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in all the way of David, his father. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. We then read that Josiah orders that the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem be repaired as it had been neglected. During the repairs, the high priest finds the book of the law, which is read to Josiah. The king tears his clothes in distress and sends his servants to inquire of Huldah, the prophetess of God. She affirms that the book of what the book of the Lord had said, that disaster was coming as they had forsaken the Lord. She then continues to do, to Josiah in verse nineteen, because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I had spoke against this place and its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes shall not see the disaster that I will bring upon this place. Chapter 23. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord, and with all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both great and small, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments, his testimonies, and his statutes with all of his heart and his soul, to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book, and all the people joined him in the covenant. Then throughout 23, we read of how Josiah set about great religious reforms throughout the kingdom. He ordered that the objects of worship of idols and false gods be destroyed in the temple and throughout the kingdom. He defiles the sacred place where people would go to sacrifice their children. Even ancient high places that Solomon had set up to the worship of the gods of his many wives were destroyed. Priests who led the people in their idolatrous worship were either removed from their positions or killed. And verse 21 The king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Verse 25. Before him, there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor did any king like him arise after him. So, as we come to this text, I want us to think about three things. One, the word of the Lord has authority and it demands a response. Two, Personal peace is not the ultimate end or goal, but the beginning of our Christian lives. And three, we have a king who will not fail. So point one, the hinge on which the story turns is the finding of the book of the law. We don't know for sure what exactly was in the book that the high priest found, but looking at the rest of the passage, scholars are in agreement that it at least contained large sections of Deuteronomy. Josiah hears the word of the Lord. He realizes that he, his people, and his fathers have not kept the promises they had made to Yahweh. From looking at Josiah's reform in chapter 23, we can see how bad the state the people of God had fallen into. There are altars and idols to various gods all over the land, even in the temple. There are sacred trees, sacred horses, shrines to the stars, Male prostitutes operate inside the temple of the Lord. They live in the temple of the Lord. There is a sacred place where people go to burn their children in sacrifice to a false god. These are the people who God had chosen as his own, who he had set apart to be a light for all nations, like we heard last week. And God has said they have become worse than all the nations around him. Josiah hears the word of the Lord, and he looks around at his people, at his father, in his heart, and he realizes that justice is swiftly coming on Judah. In 2 Chronicles 34, Huldah the prophetess summarizes Josiah's response after he's heard the book. She says, Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his word against his place, You have humbled yourself before me. You have torn your clothes and wept before me. I have also heard you, declares the Lord. To use biblical language, when Josiah hears the word of the Lord, he repents. We have to pause here because repentance is one of those words we hear so often in church and in the Bible that I find that often goes in one ear and out the other, at least for me. Repentance was central in the Old Testament and continues to be central for us. In the gospel, we hear of Jesus' call to repent and believe in me. That's one of the key themes of his message. Sometimes over-familiarity with a concept can dull its meaning. So I think a historical event, recorded around the same time as some parts of the New Testament were being written, is helpful just to give the term freshness as we look at Josiah there was a Jewish leader called Josephus. He worked for the occupying Roman forces not long after Jesus' death, and he wrote an autobiography. In it, he records an incident that took place in Galilee around AD 66. So we're in a very similar context, a very similar time to the events of the New Testament. He was sent to Galilee on Roman business, and when he got there, the leader of a group of rebels attempts to assassinate him. But Josephus with his spies hears about the plot and he catches the man and he gives the man two options. He says to the rebel, either you pay the penalty for your crimes or you repent and believe in me. It sounds strange hearing those words outside the Bible as repent isn't a word we use in daily life anymore, but it was back then. Repent and believe in me. So what was Josephus wanting from the rebel here? Is the outlaw leader supposed to show an appropriate emotional response and then he would be released? Was Josephus expecting him to say, you know, I feel really bad about what I've done. You know, trying to brutally murder you and all. I feel very sorry and I will try my very best not to do it again. You're not going to last very long in politics if that's how you treat assassins. Repentance here clearly means more than just an inward emotional response. And we know that because the Bible clearly teaches it. But it's so easy for us to forget. To repent literally means to turn around, to change direction. One commentator has said that the biblical call for repentance is a call to abandon a whole way of life and to trust for a new one, to trust God for a new one. In the context of the rebel leader, it meant he had to give up his rebellion and instead follow Josephus' leadership, which is what he did. We see the same thing with Josiah. He turns from the way he had been going, the way he had been living, and instead follows the word of the Lord. He makes a covenant with the Lord to live for him. And it's the same for us. Whether a person first repents and comes to Christ or when a lifelong Christian sins, when God calls us to repent, it is a call to turn around, to leave our way of living behind and to trust him for a better way to live which he has provided in Jesus. So full, full disclosure at this point, um, there's a high risk of hypocrisy in my sermon today, um, as this is something I struggle with, and it was hard to write, because whenever we read in the Bible or hear a sermon or a Bible study, we all, when we hear God's word, we often want it to make us feel something. We want to be encouraged or to feel peace or to be challenged or even to be convicted, We want God's word to produce a reaction in us. But if you're anything like me, too often it doesn't go further than that. How many of us can relate to this alternate version of Josiah's story? Josiah hears the book of the law read to him. He feels intense feelings. He thinks deep thoughts. He even rips his clothes and makes some promises. But then a couple of days later, it's as if nothing had happened. How... You see, it's difficult to consider upsetting the people by destroying their places of worship. How would they react when he got rid of their sacred things and their prostitutes? Instead, he changes out of his ripped shirt or tunic and gets on with life. He might look back every once in a while and remember a deeply religious experience he once had. He may even look forward to the next experience or seek it out as if that was the point the word of the Lord can provoke a reaction, but without any action. I think I'll always remember sitting on a sofa, um, I think two years ago, um, outside a room where Judith, my wife, and I had been in a Christian conference. Lots of people were walking back and forth, and I was feeling very self-conscious because I was properly crying, couldn't stop crying, and I was finding it very hard to explain to Judith why, because we, we had been at that same conference a year before, And that year i had found it very challenging and convicting. The word of the Lord had provoked a deep reaction in me. Now a year later, I was feeling those same feelings again. And then it hit me. Nothing had changed. A whole year later, and all those emotions I had felt, all those things I had seen in my life that were not pleasing to God, my father, it it had resulted in nothing. I had changed out of my ripped shirt and got on with life. There had been a reaction, but no action. I had felt sorry, but there had been no repentance. I'm not saying this so we can beat ourselves up or feel bad about ourselves. That achieves nothing. But when we come to a passage like Josiah's story, we have to treat the word of the Lord with the respect it deserves. A friend once said to me that if God wants a Christian to do something, he will surely give the Christian the desire to do it and joy in doing it that sounds nice, but it's just not true. It's clear from all over the Bible that God's word sometimes calls us to do hard things. It will sometimes call us to do things we do not want to do, and God has the right to do that. His word has authority over us. It is his word, and unlike most of the other kings, the word of the Lord came to in Judah. Josiah realizes this, In the book of the law, he encounters an authority greater than his own. Although he is the greatest judge in the land, he sees that the book stands over him and over the nation in judgment. The word of the Lord has authority. Whether we are a slave or a king, whether we think we are a good person or a bad person, the word of the Lord has authority and demands a response. That may be the need for repentance and the turning from sins which we enjoy, or the challenge of consciously living for God's purposes in the world that may require us to change our habits, our use of time, our spending, our lifestyles. God's word calls us to do hard things, to take action, and we can't shy away from that. But see how in 2322, all the difficult things that Josiah did lead to the celebration of the Passover. Don Carson, commentating on these verses, points out that this same pattern is seen throughout the Bible, even in the New Testament, in places like 1 Corinthians 5. Cleansing from sin is done in the context of celebration. And at this side of the cross, we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus has done the hardest thing, and anything he asks us to do for him is done in celebration of that fact. We are people called to action and to celebration. And we cannot have the one without the other. So that was a very long point one. Uh, Don't worry, the others are much shorter. The word of the Lord has authority and demands a response. That response is always in the context of celebrating King Jesus. If the story of Josiah was written today, some of us might be tempted to cut it short at verse 20. Josiah hears the word of God, he responds in repentance, and he is assured that he would not experience the coming judgment. He was promised peace. Sounds like a nice place to end. And if we're honest, sometimes that's how we can be tempted to see our Christian lives. For instance, in the 1991st year, Daniel, son of Harry, daughter of Stephanie from White Abbey, was born, repented, and believed in Jesus. He was promised peace and salvation. Then, in whatever year, he died, and that promise was fulfilled. The end. And although that all might be true, it is far from the full story of a Christian's life. Look at how Josiah responds to the Lord's promise that he will avoid the coming judgment. He receives his assurance in 2220, and in the very next verse it says, Then the king sent for the priests and the people. His reforms begin. The story does not stop with Josiah hearing he will enjoy peace. If anything, it gets going. Promise is followed by action. After hearing the promise, Josiah gets to work. He ensures the people and their leaders hear the words of the Lord that he responded to. He ensures that he charges them to enter into a covenant to obey the Lord. He removes idolatry and evil from the land and leads the nation in celebration of the goodness of the Lord. This is summarized in the last verse of the section we read. Before Josiah, there was no king like him. Who turned to the Lord with all his heart, all his soul, and all his might, according to the law of Moses? That description might sound familiar. Josiah turned to the Lord. As the, voice, as the verse points out, this threefold dedication to God comes from the law of Moses, from Deuteronomy 6 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. It is to this same passage that Jesus turns when he is asked which commandment is the greatest. And to my knowledge, Josiah is the only person in the Bible who's described as keeping this command. Josiah shows us what following the law's greatest command looked like in his context. Of course, our contexts are massively different. We're not likely to be leading a nation in the, set, in the Passover, bashing idols or defiling high places anytime soon, even if that sounds attractive to you. But the fundamentals of turning to the Lord remain the same. It will affect our interactions with others, our ambitions and goals, our time, our money, our politics, our priorities and attitudes. It will be out loud, visible and public. It will require all our heart, our soul and our might. Sometimes it can be tempting to see your life like voting in an election. As long as we voted for the right guy, we'll be fine. If our ex is beside Jesus' name, we can sit back and wait for the benefits we will enjoy once he takes the throne. And of course, there's truth in that, but it's only half truth. The Christian life is more like a revolution than an election. Jesus, our King, has begun taking back this world, which he made and he loves, from the powers of evil and death, which corrupted. By his life, his death, and his resurrected life, Jesus has guaranteed that victory. Yes, we are promised eternal peace, but that is the start of our stories as Christians, not the end. A Christian is someone who has heard Jesus, their king, calling, follow me as he conquers the world. And we follow him for the rest of our lives and beyond. We must believe in Christian life before death, not just after it. To quote John Stott, to be in Jesus' kingdom or under his rule brings both total blessing and total demand. And of course we will fall, we will fail, we will sin and drift away, but by his grace and the help of his spirit, we will prevail. Like Jesus's answer and Josiah's example, we will love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our might. So point one, the word of the the Lord has authority and demands a response. Point two, the promise of personal peace is the start of the Christian life, not the end. Josiah rids the land of the evils we have already looked at in chapter 23. He rids the idolatry and he celebrates the Passover. If we weren't tempted to cut the story short previously, we might now. It's a nice place to end. And if you remember, it's actually where the children's story ended. The end of the children's story was, for the rest of his life, Josiah and the whole of Judah served the Lord. What a great story about a little boy who turned a nation back to God. And I'm not criticizing that story. I think it's a very good story. And I think it's a fair enough place to end for a children's story. Because look at what comes next. Chapter 23, verse 26. Still, the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also. And then very quickly, Josiah is unceremoniously killed in a seemingly pointless battle. The narrative at the end of Chronicles ends bleakly. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah also uttered a lament for him. And all the singing men and singing women have spoken of Josiah in their laments. To this day. Then Jehoahaz, his son, takes the throne. He does evil in the sight of the Lord and rules for three months before the downfall of Judah begins, leading quickly to captivity in Babylon. The end. That will never sell as a children's story. In Jeremiah 22, we read that Josiah acted in righteousness and justice. He treated the poor and needy fairly. We've seen he abolished idolatry, reinstated the worship of Yahweh, he cleansed the temple. He brought the people into a covenant. He led them in celebrating God's goodness, but then he died. Hilkiah, the high priest, found the book of the law in Josiah's 18th year. Thirteen years later, he was dead. His reforms were short-lived. The restoration of the land was undone. The covenant he brought the people into was abandoned. The Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath. In all these ways, we could think that Josiah failed. But we need to remember again whose story it is we are reading. The Bible is the story of God's mission, and that did not end with Josiah's tragic death. After the words recorded of him in Jeremiah and Zephaniah, we don't hear of Josiah again until Matthew chapter 1. There we find that a descendant of Josiah was a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And that man, Jesus, was the Son of God. He was the Lord, and the whole story had been about him. Josiah's story was about him. There are striking parallels between the life of King Josiah and his greater son and greater King Jesus. Jesus also reinstated the house of the Lord. But now it is not a physical temple, but the temple of his people, the church. Jesus also brings people into a new covenant. But this covenant will not fail because he has written it on our hearts, but through his grace by his Spirit. Jesus will also restore a land, but his land is the entire universe, which, according to Romans 8, waits with eager longing for the day when it will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom. He will not bring one nation back to God, he, his rule will unite all people under his loving kingship, and we will faithfully serve him. Jesus will not die. He already has died and is now alive, and death itself is defeated. Because of Jesus, the Lord will turn from the burning of his great wrath. Jesus' resurrection guarantees the resurrection of his people and the restoration of the world. We have a king that will not fail. And in the light of the resurrection, we realize that ultimately even Josiah did not fail. The victory was never his to be won. No one who loves and follows the Lord will stay dead for too long. We read in 1 Corinthians 15 that because of the resurrection, any labor we do for the Lord will not be in vain. Nothing done for the Lord ever really fails or fades. With Josiah, we can take heart even in deep discouragement. Your attempts to work to please the Lord may seem trivial. It may seem like all you do is fail, and the evil and the sin around you just keeps getting darker. But remember and take heart. We follow a king who will not fail, and anything we do for him will be vindicated by his final victory. To conclude, we've seen in the life of Josiah that the word of the Lord has authority and it demands a response. As we respond to the word, we are caught up in a story greater than our own, and we find that our own personal peace, our own personal salvation, is just the beginning of our lives as Christians. We have the honor of following our king as he works in the world, and in this we have confidence. Our king will not fail. Evil, has been defea- evil will be defeated. The world will be restored, and we will be raised to new life with him because of his victory, our labor for him cannot be in vain. The same great story that the Bible tells continues today. The kingdom is coming. Jesus is at work in the world, and he calls us to follow him.